Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. To what, like I said, to wonder with kids, to get curious with kids, to to get on their level and to show empathy, to say, I'm here, I'm in it with you. And to try to use more positive language instead of telling kids don't and nots and shouldn'ts and wouldn'ts. Acknowledge the great things. Acknowledge what you like. This is a tool that therapists and teachers use all the time, but I love the way that you made your bed in the morning. I love the way that you helped your sister really promote good behavior instead of reinforcing bad behavior. All right, Look Up listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Look Up podcast. I'm your host, Mark Weinstein. And as always, I want to start off this episode with a Huge thank you to all of you for following along on this journey and exploration into what it means to be a human today. I hope that you've been enjoying the last few episodes in this new season. And I've got a very special episode for you today. Uh, We're going to dive into a person that has been extremely important in my life, and that's my sister, Nikki Weinstein. And I didn't bring Nikki on because she's my sister. I brought her on because she has been doing incredible work, uh, work as an occupational therapist focused on pediatrics uh, for the last decade since she graduated with her master's from New York University in 2010. She's been working with children at schools, um, private sessions, and at centers in both New York and Los Angeles. And I've had the privilege of stepping in and watching her work. Uh, And I just see the impact that she has on families and on these children. And for me, it's, it's just shocking that most people don't even know what an occupational therapist is or does. Uh, And in my opinion, therapists, uh, school teachers, other individuals that work with children are just highly undervalued in our society. And so I wanted to give a glimpse into her life and the way that she thinks about play and children and parenting uh, and the world post COVID-19 because really I've watched her step up uh, over the last two months when it became clear that the center that she would be working at would be closing uh, because of COVID. She immediately leapt into action and launched Spark Kids Collective, which is a teletherapy first platform. She's working with all of her families virtually She's working with new people virtually. She created an Instagram account that's giving free advice on how to engage with your children during this time when they're stuck at home with you, Uh, how to play. One of my favorite uh, posts that she did was she selected just any household item and could help you figure out how to use it to create a game with your child. She's incredibly inspirational, incredibly creative, She's got a little bit of a trucker's mouth on her, so apologize for the language on this one. But, you know, we go, we're going unfiltered on here. And, and uh, I just love the way that we get to, get to interact on this show. And I'm so happy to be able to share 
uh, share this work with you. One household item before we get started, I am currently running a special offer on my Patreon account. As I mentioned on the first, the last few episodes, I recently launched a Patreon account. I wanted to create an opportunity for you listeners to go a little bit deeper with me, uh, to get a little bit more active, to select guests, to be able to vote on uh, questions, to come on my Instagram live and chat with me, uh, to do one once a month live Q&As, to participate in the Lookup uh, chat group, uh, which will be hosted on either Telegram or Discord. And then for those of you that want to go really deep, I even have a tier for five uh, listeners that will include once a month, one-on-one coaching sessions will, where I'll be able to answer any of your personal questions, uh, talk about meditation, mindfulness, uh, business, whatever it is that you want to focus on for yourself. Um, these are coaching sessions that I'm usually charging quite a bit for, and you get all the other perks of, of being a lookup listener for signing up for this. And it's only available to five of you. So just really looking forward to interacting with this community in a more meaningful way. Um, The first hundred signups will become founding members of the lookup podcast. Uh, It'll include a welcome message from me. I'll be shouting you all out on my Instagram account. uh, And I'll also be sharing a custom downloadable guided meditation for you. Uh, that will only be available to the first hundred listeners who sign up as patrons. So, you know, I'm in this for the long run. This has been the greatest pleasure and privilege to serve all of you, to serve the guests. Um, And I thought that a Patreon account would be an incredible way to keep this show ad free as we're growing uh, and to be able to engage all of you and really get to know you all better because you know, I'm speaking into this microphone and it's, it's quite a one-way street. So I want to understand who it is that you want to hear from, what it is that you love about the show. Uh, as always, whether or not you're a, Patre- a Patreon patron, you can email me directly, marc at thelookuppodcast.com. And it goes without saying, if you are enjoying this show, if you're listening along, uh, please hit us with a five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, give it a written review. That can help us get to the top of the iTunes search page, get this, these meaningful words from my guests into new listeners' ears. And yeah, just, just hit us with a share, share it on socials. But you can also tag me in any post you do. I'm at Wark Meinstein on Instagram, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. And other ways to get involved is sign up for our weekly newsletter that goes out. I'm writing about subjects like mindfulness, philosophy, economics, um, finance, just all of the things that interest me uh, that we've, we've touched on on this show. So that's it for housekeeping. Thank you all again so much for listening along. I hope that you'll consider uh, going deeper with me and participating in the Patreon community for LookUp. But regardless, the show will continue to be here for you week in and week out. Every Wednesday morning, Eastern time, you'll have a new episode in your podcast app, whichever podcast app you you use to listen. And I'm here if you want to reach out. I hope you enjoy this episode with Nikki. Uh, She's obviously very close to my heart. Uh, Super, super grateful for her and the work that she does. I'm so happy she was able to come on the show. All right. That's it from me. I'll see you again next week.
Nikki Weinstein. Name in the house. Intended. <laughs> same name, same fam. Here we are. Look up podcast. Same neuroses. Same neuroses. Oh yeah, that's for sure. And if you've been listening long enough, you might have caught some of my neuroses through the through the soothing calm of my lovely podcaster voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's it's great. It's so great to be able to invite my fam on the show and to have you on here, not just because you're my family, but because I find what you've been up to to be so inspiring. And there's so many different things that I think we can talk about and share that would be valuable for the listeners and so much that you have to share and you have to offer uh, that I'm just like, I don't know, I'm super excited. How about you? I'm excited. I'm nervous. You're nervous? Don't be nervous. I feel like I'm in an interview for some reason. No, no, you're not (laughs) in a job. This isn't like a job interview. That's not what it's like. We're all good. I'm excited. I've been excited. I have so much I want to share. I've been like writing down a million things. So I think a good- Got that Virgo in me. I think a good starting point would be to describe your work. So you are a pediatric occupational therapist. And many people out there- um, I, I wouldn't, if you and, and mom were not an occupational therapist before you, not pediatric though, necessarily, but mm-hmm. if you were not an occupational therapist, I don't think I'd know what an occupational therapist was or what you did. So I'd love to start there. Yeah. Um, you know, I often get like the question, oh, you're a pediatric occupational therapist. Do you get kids jobs? That's like the number one, you know, because the occupation is so confusing in it. Uh, I actually, I hate the name, <laughs> but I'll just I pause think... to eat a cookie for a second. So that's why my laugh was delayed. Hold on. <laughs> you, we can eat on this podcast? I had I no mean, idea. Why not? I like, <laughs> this is our space. You can drink that's coffee true. on a podcast. Why not? Why not eat a cookie? Can you curse on a podcast? I was curious about that. Yeah, we curse all the time on the show. Um, okay. Knowing you, there'll be a couple of F-bombs that get <laughs> I know. It's like, she's a pediatric occupational therapist who works with kids with disabilities and also has the worst trucker mouth you've mouth. in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but no, it, but sometimes no, I mean, it I, slips out, you know, when we get passionate, the cusses slip yeah. out. So, okay. So anyways. For sure, we got that New York. Uh, we got the we got the New Yorkers in the house. Here we go. All right. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I think what's cool about my profession is a lot of people don't know it. I, I'd say that's sort of frustrating. What's cool is if you do know what occupational therapy is, mm-hmm. you appreciate it so much. Like the people that need us are so grateful to have us, which is really cool. We work on a lot of things that people take for granted. I I sort of hate explaining what I do for a living because Why? occupational therapy because mm, occupational therapy is a really broad field. We can work in geriatrics, in rehab, in mental health. I work in pediatrics. I think the best way to explain what I do is to explain it in terms of rehab. So basically, 
if you've had a stroke or you've got a knee replacement or something like that, physical therapists will work on getting your body back to its just right place or as, as far as you can go. Whereas occupational therapists will work on getting your body to be able to do the things that we do in our day to day. So that's the occupation and occupational therapy. So for example, everything we take for granted, we dress ourselves, we brush our hair, we brush our teeth, we make a sandwich. So we do rehab in a functional way that, and the goal is to get to day to day occupation. And so Mm -hmm. what does that mean in pediatrics, right? Yeah. What does that mean for kids? Because kids don't, kids don't work, do they? I mean, in certain parts of the world, I guess, but (laughs) <laughs> but they do. I mean, like, yeah, no, that's true. That's horrible, but true. But um, yeah. kids' occupation is play. It's mm. school. It's being a sibling. It's being a friend. It's being a child. It's There's so much that's expected of children. And so just imagine if you didn't know how to play with a friend when you're little or if you couldn't sit for a second in school and pay attention, which is a big thing right now. Um, you know, it's, there's, so, there's so many responsibilities that kids have or so many expectations that kids have that when they're missing a tiny piece, it really can change their whole world. So, so you're teaching Does that play, make sense? Does teaching... that make sense what I do? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it makes sense. I mean, just reflecting it back to you, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. I think like having gone to your office and or your office or the, you know, the center where you work or the school where you work and seeing you interact with the kids, it's much easier for me to understand now kind of what it is that you're doing. I think because like the occupational aspect of being a kid is not there just reflecting back what I hear from you and, and what I know as well of what you do is like you are teaching kind of teaching these kids how to play, teaching these kids how to interact, teaching these kids, some of them, the day-to-day activities and, and tasks that we, we might take for granted as adults. And also, you know, you're often in this part, you don't always work with special needs children, but you're often working with special needs children. So there's elements of that where there's, as you said, sitting in a desk for 30 minutes, like how, how you get them to do that. So I hear you. I think, I think, does that reflect what you do? <laughs> am I, am I doing a good yeah, job? Yeah, absolutely. It's hard. It's really hard to explain. Um, the reason why I was saying I hate, explaining what I do and I hate the occupation in the name and that kind of stuff is because it is sort of abstract and it's this it's this uh we have our hands in many pots and so it's hard to explain but like I said once you work with an occupational therapist and they help your child or they help you it's like this revelation like oh man this is it's so helpful and I think a big thing, and maybe this is just my pride, but it's a science-based profession. You know, like I went to grad school, I studied anatomy and kinesiology, and I wish that I could still say I know every single nerve in the body, but I knew every single nerve, muscle, innervation. I yeah. And I love that stuff. And it's not just like, oh, we're just teaching a kid how to button his shirt. We're looking at 
the neurology, the sensory, the sensory portion of it. We're looking at the strength portion of it, the dexterity, the in-hand manipulation. I mean, we're breaking everything down into its foundation and, and we're analyzing, well, where, what's missing and what do we need to, what do we need to add to that foundation in order to gain the skill? So. I, I love it because we've nerded out because, you know, I obviously it's not nearly as rigorous, but having done my 200 hour yoga certification, there's an element of that, of that course that dives into kind of the, the nervous system and the way that we respond to different stimuli. And so, you and I have nerded out a bunch on, on homunculus, which I'll share, yeah. I'll share a link to that, which is this image of like man, if, if man had uh, proportionately sized appendages relative to the amount of nerve endings in those appendages. So there's like giant lips and giant eyes and humongous hands and feet. Mm-hmm. You and I have always loved nerding out on that. So that's super cool. Yeah. I love that. I, and you introduced me to that. And I, I think it's, I think I tell everyone about it. It's just, we take, our bodies are insane. We take yeah. so much for like, I, I get my hands are moving fast. Like I get so passionate about. <laughs> She's a hand this. talker, I, like, folks. <laughs> you're not going to see this. You're not going to catch the hand talking on video, but you'll definitely hear the passion. That's for sure. <laughs> but it's like in this moment, right? Like what we're doing. I'm looking at you. You just drank from your coffee. I'm not. Ta- that's. I'm not taking that as a full distraction. There's cars outside. There's light coming in. You know. There's little sounds. There's so much going around us at all times and our bro- our body unconsciously filters things out and takes in information and then we tell our appendages to move and to do and it's all happening in a second and it's so cool and we take it for granted beyond belief and the kids that I work with even the kids that are on the cusp of just being like not really needing my help but that one little issue, that one little issue with noise sensitivity or something like that, it really impacts their life and it's everything we take for granted. So I, yeah, I geek out about what our body is doing all the time. Yeah. And you've been working in this field now for a little, about a decade. Yeah. It's, it's so it's crazy. crazy. I can't believe it. So yeah. I remember, I remember your graduation because I graduated undergrad the same year you graduated from NYU. And, um, yeah, it's so cool just to see where you've come and you've been, you've worked in, I think public schools, but maybe not public schools, charter school. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. And, um, you've worked with high schoolers and you've also worked with really young children. And, you know, I've seen you working with adults as well recently, uh, who've suffered different, you know, strokes or whatnot. So, it's uh, it's really cool. I mean, your experience is super diverse. I guess I want to. There's so much that I wanted to talk about on this episode, and we kind of bounced around mm-hmm. some ideas beforehand. Uh, I wanted to ask, like, what what have you learned, or what are some things that you've learned from from play, from playing mm-hmm. with the kids? And teaching them how to play. Because that concept to me is so far in like the idea that a child would um, have to learn how to play. Well, just to backtrack a little just about my experience, I have worked in school base. I have worked in kids' homes. I've worked with friends who have had kids who 
it's funny. We, we have this desire to have children. That's our path, right? Everybody or, or the traditional trajectory is to have kids. And then my friends who have had kids have never even held a baby or played with a child. And so there's even that, like, how do I play with this kid? How do I? So, so once my friends started having babies, that was a whole nother aspect of my career where I was like, let me show you how to get them engaged in something and how to be playful and not be like, do this, do that, do that, you know? So yeah, in terms of what have I learned from play, I think a big thing is play is how we learn, especially as kids. We explore, I mean, if you really break down play, Mm. play could be a baby laying, doing tummy time and just sort of looking at itself, looking at himself or herself in the mirror or reaching for a toy plays there's so many levels of play and what I've learned from it is play is a way to explore but to play to take on different roles and there's different levels of play there's imaginary play there's parallel play so we start and we play side by side and then we play that's what parallel play is Then we play together. Then it goes into imaginary play. So we have ideation, which is the creation of ideas and then implementation, implementing those ideas. So play is multifaceted. But to go back to what I have learned from play. Well, that's, I I mean, that's, (laughs) well, that's, no, that's, that's a, I mean, that's a lot, right? Like just even understanding that um, play is so important. You know, especially as adults, I feel like we kind of start to play starts to tail off. And I've spoken about this on a previous episode, like one of my first episodes, Douglas Rushkoff was speaking about how, um, you know, we might be humans might be um, man, the player where we've we've kind of identified play as like amongst animals, for example, like dogs is practice. Um, practice for work or practice for the hunt or whatever. But what if everything that we were doing was just preparing us for play and play was that, that which is most serious. Mm. And there's so many neurological benefits. There's so many psychological benefits. There's so many health benefits of playing um, for adults that we kind of, I think we waste, we waste away our older years, just, uh, just focused on, you know, sitting in front of the screen as I've been doing for like the last seven hours. I think that, you know, even just understanding these different types of play, there's complexities and we've evaluated it on so many other levels, I think is an important lesson in and of itself. Yeah. And, you know, I think I was, I had mentioned to you prior to this, I was talking to one of my friends who's reading the book, The Artist's Way, and mm. doing the activities in that book. And an, another dear friend of mine has also done it. And it's a lot about tapping into the inner child and taking yourself on, they call them artist dates, but really they're play dates. And it's so fascinating as adults, how we have to schedule this in. I mean, I am so lucky. I play all day. (laughs) I never stop playing. It's bananas. I mean, I'm jumping on like (laughs) giant trampolines for my job and I'm playing Candyland and Pretty Pretty Princess and me and my coworkers are just making up games all day, but in the adult world, we don't do it. And so in this time with us quarantining in place, 
I've noticed how much more playful people have gotten. The grind has diminished. And my friend who's reading The Artist's Way was like, I can't necessarily take myself out on artist dates, but I can create artist dates in my home. She's been sewing. She's been sewing masks. And she has been tie-dyeing. And she's like, I lose myself in that play. I feel calm. I feel relaxed. I mean, we don't give ourselves this space. Occupational therapy actually started in mental health, and now there's more of this art therapy piece that's sort of taken over. But I worked at St. Luke's in Manhattan with an inpatient psych for one of my field works, which was so, it was incredible. I mean, I, I worked with the people on the subway that you're like, I need to change trains. Like this guy, <laughs> thinks he's Jesus Christ. He's smearing shit on the wall. And and I I loved it. And what I met this older gentleman, probably in his 70s, who was volunteering there, who's an OT assistant that was there back in the day when OT sort of was the the doing therapy in mental health because you're in inpatient. Maybe you tried to kill yourself. Maybe you're hearing voices. Maybe there's all these things going on. And this guy was old school. He did leather lacing and he showed us how to do this macrame thing. And at first you're sort of like, what's the point? But then when you get into it, you see how present you are in the play, in the doing. Mm -hmm. You're using your hands. You're feeling productive. There's pride in your work. There's so much. And so I just, yeah, it's, it's really important. There's so much discovery within it. Yeah. And so some words that keep coming up, um, exploration and discovery and some, some elements, um, that we messaged about last night are really how, how important play is to kind of develop that in our psyche. And you spoke about, um, our mom, shout out mom. One of, one of the many listeners to the look up podcast. There she is. Um, and you mentioned how basically she, she used to say, you know, just go outside and play. Mm -hmm. And in doing that allowed us to explore and, and go be creative. But what you mentioned that was surprising to me was that, um, now kids are that kind of open invitation to play is actually not as common for kids. Yeah, what I'm finding is that children are always needing to be told, or not always, that's, a, that's too general, but um, commonly being needed to be told how, what exactly to do, to get, be given, be handed the script. And if you look back, we just used to go outside and play. And I know that you used to play video games a lot, and I was thinking about this. And I was just thinking about, I know you love video games, but I was thinking about when you think about, because for me, when I think about my happy memories, and maybe this is loaded, but I think about sledding on the driveway or going into the woods and being explorers and like Mm. going on a mission. And, you know, yeah, I spent time in front of the TV and I was on devices and Nintendo and my Casio text messaging thing. (laughs) old school (laughs) but uh now everyone knows how old I am but yeah I 
we were given, we were provided with the opportunity to go out and create. And I think kids are sort of losing that. And I guess a big recommendation for people listening to this podcast is I would just say, if you do have kids to sort of let them lead, let them Mm. figure it out, let them sort of create, like we, we have, we like to put our vision in the forefront instead of letting the kids create the vision for us. And that it plays a part. It plays a part in executive functioning, which is our ability to judge, plan, organize, timing, sequencing, like being able to figure out a play schema. It's a foundation for things that we use later in life. So skills that we need later. So in a way, you know, and this is another thing that struck struck me, you said meet kids where they're at um, rather than where they should be. And I feel like this, what you're describing is when, when we as parents or we as adults start to put our children in, you know, we, we want to create boundaries for them. We want to, um, we want to protect them. But then when we overstep and the boundaries get too close and we create these shoulds, all of these, all these rules, let's call them around the children we we don't allow them that space to develop the functions that are so important for them in, in old age. Yeah, for sure. There are two things that came with that. One was because parents are at home with their kids right now and they're all of a sudden becoming teachers and therapists and counselors and nothing that they really ever plan to be. It's more of a friendly reminder that every day we wake up feeling different. We're not the same person as yesterday. And as adults, we have these expectations of achievement and goals. And there's a lot of, well, you could do this yesterday. You, I, I know you know this, you know, and I like trying to be easy on the expectations for the kids in order to foster patience in ourselves. Because patience is Something that if we have this, this is where you should be, we're never going to have patience for where they're at. And we're never going to allow for the process to unfold and to give space for them to figure it out or to, to get to where we're hoping that they'll be. Because we're just like, you were there. You should be there. This is where you should be at. And it just, it, it, it's not going to work for the parents and it's not going to work for the kids. And then the other thing, when I hear you saying that, I want to also be clear that I am a big, big fan of clear expectations and structure and boundaries and creating those prior to allowing the space. So for example, when we say, you know, mom sent us outside, there are expectations, obviously. We have to be kind to each other. We're going to play together whatever the expectations are. And there's a time limit, like, okay, you're going to go play outside for 30 minutes and then you're going to come in and do this. So it's not this free for all there's structure within it, Mm. or you're Mm going to go to therapy and you're going to do your work and whatever that work looks like within it, there's space for, for openness and flow, but there's still structure. So. Yeah, that makes sense. No, no, that was, that was great. It, It makes sense. Um, you know, I'm thinking about 
it's it's kind of there's a balance, right? Like I was I was listening to a friend's podcast the other day, and they were talking about the masculine and the feminine, and how the masculine energy is kind of like the structured kind of world shaper. And this isn't men versus women. This is masculine and feminine. We carry both energies. Both men and women carry both energies in different balances, but you know the masculine structure is like structure and create creating and order, and the feminine is like flow and receptivity. And one of the guests on our podcast described, you know, like if you want a drink of water, you need to pour it in a glass. And so, you know, we want that kind of flow and freedom, but also you need a little bit of the edges to make sure that it that it works. I guess then it's just you don't take the edges too down to a shot glass. You know, you keep it as like a tall a tall drink of water. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I loved. But it's there. I, I loved because there's a couple of paths that we can meander down in this conversation. And uh, I think we're getting to a good point because you mentioned during these times, right? We are speaking on May 5th, 2020. We are six weeks into quarantine during the coronavirus scenario. Um, a lot of people have been locked at home. A lot of, a lot of people's children have not been able to go to school uh, our other sister, Adria, has been one of them. She's at home with her two children, Alexis and Mikey, who are you know three years old and five years old or seven. I'm the Four worst and uncle. Six. <laughs> <laughs> Age is just a number, baby. <laughs> uh, four and six. Well, Mikey, there you go. I don't know how old they are, and I also didn't send Mikey a birthday present, so I'm I'm bad. And, and he reminds you about like, that every day. Me. I know. It's coming, man. It was quarantine. Give me a break. Um, <laughs> but anyways, so like we're in these unique times where parents are spending a lot more time with their children. And then also where adults are spending a lot more time with themselves. And I think that's interesting for a number of reasons. Um, one is what you described as meet kids where they're at, not where they should be, is not just applicable to children. It's applicable to each and every one of us. Meet our, meet yourself where you are, not where you should be. And the other aspect of this that I want to go down is kind of your personal journey of taking your practice, which is very much hands-on and in-person, and birthing Spark Kids Collective, which is... And maybe I shouldn't use the word birthing because a past guest, also a woman mentioned that, you know, your startup is not your child and, and respect, Leslie, <laughs> that makes sense. And you should definitely differentiate, but, you know, creating Spark Kids Collective and really um, creating all these incredible free offerings for families that are now finding themselves at home with their children who want to engage with their children and want their children to be engaged. But, you know, can't figure out what to do beyond just maybe like putting them in front of a TV screen or an iPad. So that's not really a question, but I'm going to ask kind of like, what is, what has changed for you in your practice since quarantine? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm glad that you asked that because I wanted to say that I have been doing, so basically everything started happening and it started being like, well, we work with kids. We work with some kids with compromised immune systems and they're the silent exposers, right? They're asymptomatic and they're, and we're spread it. It's an easy way to spread things. So where do we go from here? So I said, you know what? 
I'm going to try out this teletherapy thing. And I had never done it before. I, to be honest with you, I've never done a Zoom call before. So this was all really new to me. And I'm glad that you brought it up because I am talking to parents every day. I'm doing five hours of teletherapy a day. Well, that's my max day. (laughs) That's the max that I could do. And I'm in it with them. I'm texting with them. I know I, I hear what's going on. And so any advice that I'm offering is really learned from being in the trenches with the parents. I mean, they're in the trenches. They cannot leave the trenches. They're there. But um, I I just want to make that clear. So basically, when you say that I birthed Spark Kids Collective at this time, I sort of feel like Spark Kids Collective birthed itself, which (laughs) I will explain. (laughs) Um, I... Yeah, I have been practicing for a long time and my career has somehow just evolved into this thing that I'm so passionate about. And I have been doing private practice, part-time private practice for a while. And I've been running all over town and I haven't had the opportunity to sit down and create the content that I wanted to be able to share. Cause like you said, nobody knows what occupational therapy is. Most people don't know what I do. I've shared on my private Instagram, my personal Instagram, a day in the life of OT. And the response was crazy. It was like, mm. whoa, thank you so much. And people coming out of the woodwork that I would never think would give a shit, to be honest with you, being like, thank you so much for sharing what you do. This is great. It's so informative. And so I've always had the intention of starting my Instagram and getting the information out there. I have so much information jammed in my head. And yeah, I dude, also it's crazy. And I I work with a lot of different uh, most of my career has been multidisciplinary. So I work with speech therapists, I work with counselors, I work with teachers. I mean, one of my, a few of my best friends are special ed teachers, and Mm -hmm. I talk to them all the time about this stuff. It's very collaborative. So I have all this, these resources, and I want to be able to share them. And so I just thought, okay, we're going to be inside. I don't know what's going to happen with teletherapy, if it's going to go well or not. And so now's the time to start sharing ideas. And also the side of it that's super interesting to me is that I, I'm intuitive. I'm, I mean, you know me, like, yes, I'm smart. I'm not going to put myself down, but I'm not Mm going to like drop facts on you and research and I'm not, I'm not booky like that and I'm intuitive. And so a big challenge in my career has been being able to give parents the tools that come oftentimes innately to me. And I think that's a huge, I think, you know, I remember on one of your podcasts, somebody was talking about how when you get, or maybe we were just talking, you've taught me this, that when you get to the point where you can teach it, that's when you're really the expert, right? So telehealth is this whole different ball game where it's like, all right, somebody else, either I'm going to be working with a kid who can work with me at a computer, or I'm going to be the sort of like puppeteer coach for the parents. And it's, 
it's been eye-opening. It's actually, I find it so beneficial. And I've had feedback from parents who find it really beneficial too. Like one parent is like, wow, I've been completely, my eyes have been completely open to what you guys do. And other parents are just blown away by the patience it takes. Yeah. Uh, I would say so one yeah. word, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned earlier that you spend most of your days playing. And it's kind of funny to me because I know how you spend your days and I know just how much work <laughs> and, and, and effort and energy goes into working with these kids in every session. And so, you know, I want to say like patience is probably the, the primary word um, to describe what you do. It requires so, so much patience. And, you know, and, and as you said, everybody wakes up in every, any given day feeling differently. And no matter how you wake up and how you're feeling as an OT, you're getting in there in the ring basically with these kids and your responsibility is to, you know, is to work with them and to help them and to play with them and make sure that, that they're growing and expanding. And so it requires a ton of energy. Um, I think, you know, I, in thinking about Spark Kids Collective, one thing that comes to mind is this exercise that you did. And what I love about the work that you're doing right now is you're also making this accessible. So a lot of, some of this is offered in schools, different regions, public schools have different offerings and of various levels. And, and we're going to talk about kind of compensation for occupational therapists and how it's, you know, and I really want to get into kind of like how we, we as a society allocate value, because I I just see the work that you do. And I find that your profession is tremendously undervalued, um, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on. But also, you know, for some, they don't have the ability to access like a charter school or a private school to, you know, to have their kids work with an OT directly. And you're making, you're making some of this accessible. And so one thing that one thing that I thought was so cool was you basically did a quiz, which was like, hey, give me any household item that you have right (laughs) now. Like send me, give me your best shot, like try to stump me and I'm going to create a game with it. That's going to be that's going to be educational and engaging for your kid. And it was just so cool. Like people were sending you brooms and and bowls (laughs) and and you were like you were like taking like a like a, a strainer and putting spaghetti hairs in the strainer to create a head. And like that was like teaching dexterity for the kids. And it was just, it was so awesome. So this is, you know, the work that you're doing is making this accessible to, to so many parents out there. And I think it's extremely valuable. And also like, I, I find that, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, like in your, your new role through teletherapy, the parent getting engaged is probably so powerful as well. Like now parents also quarantined with their kids have so much more time to spend with their kids. And this concept of like sending the kid away so that I can focus on work. And then, you know, you come home from work and you're tired and exhausted and you have to cook dinner and all this stuff. It's like it, in a way it kind of takes away from, from parenting and I'm not a parent myself, so I don't really know, but. And parents that are listening might be shouting from the mountaintops, like, you have no idea. We need those five <laughs> hours a day. You know, that's, that's cool. But, they yeah. do. But then there's also, you know, like I have a friend from high school who reached out to me who has a son with autism. And she was just like, he goes to school for 
till 2.30. And that's the only time I have. And then from 2.30 on, he's having tantrums and I don't know how to entertain him. And parents, they just, they don't catch a break. Um, But I do think learning some of my techniques, and and I say my, I mean, a, a therapist technique is just a gift. Going back to the patience thing, I, I was just looking on my phone because there's a quote that I, I would really like. Patience is not passive. On the contrary, it is concentrated strength. You know, you like know who, people who said that? Like, or? So it's funny because I've been looking up quotes for Spark Kids and it, it comes up as Bruce Lee, but it's not. It's Edwin. Some, let me look up who it is. No, it's all good. We'll, I'll, I'll post it in the show notes. We'll send, we'll send it. It's not, it's not as important to say right now. Yeah, it's Edward George Bulwer-Lytton. I don't know. But it, Bruce name. Lee is quoted with it a lot. Yeah. I think realizing that patience takes work. Like you said, my job is play and it's a lot of patience. I think I've I think where I get my patience from in a lot of ways is using those techniques. It's been a decade of practice of understanding that if you provide structure and boundaries, if you are stern with love, mm. if you give if you allow space for relationship and trust and rapport, then you can allow for things to sort of unfold and to have the patience to to give a child or anyone for that matter the space that they need to succeed, to hit a goal or to master something. If you don't give space, which takes a lot, especially when working with, it's been, it's been great coaching parents because I have to do a lot of, okay, now daddy's going to stop helping and you're going to go over there. Or like me and daddy are going to go talk over there while you do that because we just want our kids to get it, to just do it, just do it, just get it. Just, but if we do it for them, they will never learn how to do it. Problem solving, failing. I mean, you go across the country, around the world, talking about failing. Failure is so important. And I notice that parents, they'll get, not parents, all of us will get tunnel vision on the end result instead of just allowing for the process. So yeah, the, the telehealth has been great in being able to show parents. I posted on my Instagram story about three sort of tools in in the way that we use language to help kids get them where we want to be without telling them where we want them to be. And I think there's little tweaks in how we behave that can make it easier on us to be able to hold space for them. I was was thinking about... um... That's so beautiful in the way you describe kind of cultivating a relationship with with children. I really think I really think that working with kids is such an incredible way to get in touch with your own inner child and yourself because as you said kind of the the subtlety between being harsh uh or 
attached to outcomes and holding on to expectations versus being stern with love. It's it. There's such a dramatic di- difference between those two, and even even though it's just a subtle shift in in the types of words that you use, I would say outside of patience and other superpower viewers that I've noticed when you're playing with kids in particular is your ability to kind of redirect. So there's a lot of like it feels like you're almost a martial artist working with kids. There's like a judo element where. <laughs> You know, when they come at you with like an energy of we're we're not going to play this game. This is stupid or something like that. Like they're coming at you and then you're just like slowly stepping out of the way and letting them like carry their energy into the next activity without even realizing that that you did. It. You know that you're doing it, but they have no idea that they just got they just got got. Uh-huh. You know, not really. For, they got got for their benefit. But for like benefit, the art of sure. just like redirect. And yeah, most parents I mean- like. Especially because there's that attachment to the kid, but like I feel like parents have a hard time. You know, it's more like no, you do it, and like trying to fight the battle rather than just like all right, like let's let the energy carry you, and you're gonna end up doing what I want you to do anyways because I'm the master in this little play playpen. <laughs> yeah, I just envisioned. I don't know if it if it works or not, but I just envisioned like tug of war, and it's like you're tugging, you're tugging, you're tugging, and you want them to fall down, but if you just let go, they'll fall down. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like if you just yeah. like go the rope, they'll just, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I think, I think noticing things like I, I, I'll reiterate noticing like, oh, Ooh, what's that over there? Or getting interested, getting, getting curious with kids. We don't have to say, go over there and look at that. We could say, Oh, what's over there? Hmm. Oh my God. I think I see something. We can get (laughs) curious. That's exciting. You know, there's a way to change your tone. And then on the other hand, no one will call me a softie. Like I'm very, very clear and stern with my kids, but I don't use a lot of language and I allow for processing time to process in space. You know, I have this. What does that look like? What does it look yeah. like allowing time to yeah. process? I think I was just going to say, I have this kid who has taught me so much. He has a, de- he has delayed auditory processing, which mm. means that the amount of time that it takes for his brain to understand the message and then react is longer than ours. In fact, it's about 20 seconds. And so when you say so-and-so put on your shoes, one, two, three, four, all the way up to 20, boom, he hear, he understands it, and then he puts on his shoes. Now, wow. if you didn't know this kid, our natural reaction would be, put on your shoes, put on your shoes. I said, put on your shoes, put on your shoes, put on your shoes. And that's a directive. Another example is saying like, hey, how are you? One, two, three. I mean, this... This kid needs time. And as humans, we just want that immediate, what's it called? Like that yeah, the instant gratification. Yeah. Instant gratification. Tell us we're moving, we're going. And for a kid to have to get you to slow down, that's a pretty special gift. And obviously I don't want that for him. But that being said, I always talk about how the kids are our 
teachers. They really are. I mean, I, I have to shout out the school that I worked at. I worked at many schools in Manhattan, but my favorite, number one, my heart, my world, my everything is Cook Center. And Cook Center, they just, there are schools for kids just with autism. There are schools for kids with learning disabilities, but Cook Center does not discriminate in a way. I don't know if discriminates the right word, but they're, they're a diverse population. And it was a school that was started actually by families of kids with Down syndrome who felt that their kids did not have a proper place to get educated that was appropriate for them. And so they started Cook. It was eight families. And what I love about Cook is that the kids are all different, which I guess is any school, but I'm talking about processing speeds. I'm talking about verbal abilities. I'm talking about motor control, motor coordination. So they have to allow time for each other and they have to learn from each other's needs. And there's something really beautiful in that. Well, one one thing I wanted to touch on as well is, you you know, we, we said in the beginning that there's so many different occupational therapy practices. There's, you could go in a lot of different directions. You spend a lot of time with autistic children mm-hmm. or children, children with on autism. The <laughs> you have to use children with versus autism. language. That's the PC now. They're not autistic. They're children who have autism. Well, thank you for correcting me. I think that's no worries. That's I mean, I have to, to correct understand. you. This is on a podcast now. It's like gotta be PC. Well, you should have corrected me before this. I would have looked. I'm sure it did. You just don't listen correct. to me. I have your full attention. Well, I'm like, here. I'm, like the, I'm like the I'm like the child with the 20. When you mentioned the 22nd <laughs> child, I thought you were talking about me. Actually, <laughs> usually it's because my brain is going to like 17 different directions. It's like. And then I'll, you know, like I'll answer eventually, but it's just like, it's, it takes its place in the list of things that are currently at the top of my mind. Yeah. Maybe that's oh, what's God. happening. <laughs> I hope, I don't know. Um, so children with autism, uh, I feel like you have like such a, such a strong connection to children with autism. And I just wanted to, to open the floor to you to kind of talk about that relationship. And you said you've learned so much from your children, you know, I'd, I'd like to understand kind of what you've learned from children with autism in particular. Yeah. You've already shared so much, but this is... No, I... When you mention children with autism, I just get like, like giddy. I love them so much. And the thing about autism, it's a spectrum, as we know. And so there are just kids who don't have social filters, which like... For the parents, that sucks. (laughs) But for me, it's like my favorite. They just say they don't have these social constructs. They just say what Mm. they think. And it is so fucking refreshing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's honestly the things that they say. I'm just like, yeah, you're right. They don't understand idioms and idioms are stupid. Like, they don't make any sense. (laughs) You know, they don't. What is, what's an idiom? Like, I mean, I, I don't even know. I just, I can't with idioms. They're just. So I mean, bad. I tutored, I tutored the SATs and I still couldn't tell you the difference today between an idiom and uh, what's the other one? Uh, exactly. I don't even know it. It's like idioms and something else. 
There aren't idioms um, the one where it's like I, I can't of course I'm on the spot and I can't think of one but No, I'm go- I'm googling it. I I've, I've I've gotten this like new thing on the podcast where if we don't know something we're just going to google it. Happened need, on the last episode. You need a fact Dude, checker Rick, Rick like Dad Shepherd. At the end he yeah, does all I this need, like facts checking fact checking. I need a I need a fact checker. It's true. I got this I got Sam the sound engineer hooking it up but I need anybody who's listening Shout wants out to be a fact Sam. checker for the show. What up, Sam? Um, <laughs> a group of words established by usage as having a meaning not deducible from those of the individual words themselves. Ah, it's raining cats and dogs. Yeah, is an idiom. Ugh, thank I you. see the light is an idiom. Ugh. Yeah, and it's and it's so apparent, especially because you know I'm I'm dating a French woman, and and sometimes I'll say something and she'll be like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's raining cats and dogs. It, what is that? I speak mean? in idioms all the time. We do. It just means I know that's why and that's why I'm saying I couldn't I can't believe I couldn't think of one. But yeah, they they think more concretely, which is a gift and a curse in a way. But I would say so yeah, so I've worked with kids with autism who are eighteen and who are aggressive and nonverbal and bite and hit and they're big. I mean, if you see pictures of me with them, they're bigger than me. And yeah, I, I remember I, I remember a few stories about one one student in particular. Yeah, I mean they punch themselves. They it's it's hard, and that don't let me forget about the thing about that the the time that they share with the therapist, maybe being their only peaceful time. But I'll go back to that. And then there's sorry. There can't cover it. Can't cover it all, Nikki. That's what I want to about, about these podcasts. Is you just you just have to let some things go. I can't let you it just go. gotta let it go. Let the perfectionist go. <laughs> okay, fine. But that's such an important point. Okay, but what I will say, and then I work with kids who are nonverbal who are really having issues with their sensory processing, which is a huge part of my field. Meaning they, like, just give an example, like when you say they're having issues like, with their sensory processing. Meaning like somebody touches them and it feels like sharp pain or Ooh, yeah. they have no idea where their body is in space. They're like floating. It's like they're astronauts on the mm. moon or their taste buds. They're really picky. Their taste buds are super sensitive. They're really sensitive to light and noise it could be hard to hear. It could be hard to filter out background noise. And so those kids, there's something about, it took time for me, but there's something about being able to make them feel good. Occupational therapists make kids with autism feel good. I guess it ties into what I was going to say anyway. And so I know how to make their bodies feel more regulated and then they're able to connect as we know a lot of kids with autism don't make eye contact they're not really interested in the other people around them which can be really hard for families and so learning that the body needs to be regulated in order to connect on a human level is huge I mean that's just something that we need to know in life right we need to regulate ourselves in order to function in our day-to-day and learning how much we communicate in the nonverbals is something that I learned from them too. How much we communicate and not nonverbals like the little 
facial expressions or anything like that. More nonverbals in just being there, just showing up. Because kids with autism don't always see those little nuances, those little changes in facial expression, understanding, oh, she's feeling frustrated or she's connected to me. But just being there, I see you. I'm here. I see you. I'm with you. I want to make, I want to help you. Mm. Um, And I wanted to, thank you. And I wanted to shout out. Oh, I wanted to, well, I wanted to shout out Adria because that's really important. So the one, um, I'll go back to it because I am a goddamn perfectionist, which I've learned along the way, <laughs> is I just, so I can't fucking let it go. <laughs> um, okay, okay. No, but I was talking to an old colleague who reached out since I started Spark Kids and she was like, oh, I'm just fed up with OT, occupational therapy. Mm. Like maybe it's because the kids that I work with are so low functioning they cannot do a lot that I feel like what's the point like it's not working and twofold one what I realized with us and which is what I was saying is that the therapists are the ones that it could be 20 minutes in that kid's whole day where they feel okay and even if we don't see goals being met or them buttoning a shirt or writing their name just to allow peace, space to feel okay is so important. And I think that we beat, each, we beat ourselves up a lot. We want, like, it's perfect tie into perfectionism. We being, we being ther- the therapists. Yeah. We, we, OTs. Yeah. OTs. It's, uh, I, you know, I, I signed up to do this research thing. And when I was talking to a supervisor, she was reviewing things with me. And prior to reviewing it with me, she said, OTs are some of the toughest people. She's like, don't get upset if I'm criticizing you. I've noticed that. And and it's for this research company. So they do like a bunch of research for um, different fields. She's like, I've noticed that OTs are so tough on themselves. And we are like, we're caregivers. We want to help. We want to fix. We want to, mm. we want to get you better. We feel pressure. We want to do it for the parents. We really give a shit. And so shout out to the therapists who are like trying, trying, trying. You're there. You're showing up. You care. You give a shit about a kid who is maybe really violent or aggressive or spitting or whatever else. And like you show up and you're there and that's like enough. That has to be enough. And the other thing is, which ties into it is that our sister, thank God for her saying this to me. When I started practicing, I just felt so defeated. Like, what is the point? They're not, it's not getting better. It's really frustrating. And you feel like you're not, hitting goals. And Adria said to me, you're filling up a bucket, a drop at a time. You're trying to fill up a full bucket of water, one drop at a time. And even though that drop feels insignificant, it's still adding to the bucket. And it's still, you're still working towards, you're contributing. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it's beautiful. And Adria, you know, if you're listening, we'll get you on here one day as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> shout out to the moms shout out to the oh, working moms God, that's all i want to do bless. yeah shout out just to the like, working dads i mean it's not easy yeah. to be home with your kids it's just not you're trying to work and be a parent it's it's two careers in yeah. one it's it's too much yeah being a caretaker at the same time is trying to put money on the 
on the table or food on the table, food being in transmuted money, I guess, in our society. But um, it's, it's just crazy. And I think, yeah, one drop at a time. And that is so, that is such beautiful advice for everyone listening, no matter what you're doing. Uh, one drop at a time, we get so swept up in outcomes. Like you and I, you, know, you and I, Nikki, we, we want to see results immediately as well. Like you're very patient with the kids, but when it comes to ourselves, we tend to, to want to see immediate results. So like with Spark, I know that, you know, you launched it and you want it to just be a certain size or have a certain reach. And it's, and it's all coming from a place of like, I want this to resonate with people. I want people to hear this because I know and trust that this is important work, but it's just that one drop at a time. And for me with this podcast, it's the same. It's like, oh, I'd love to have Joe Rogan level listeners and <laughs> Russell Brand's charisma and charm and, you're you know, going to have to uh, start Sam drinking Harris's, a lot more then. <laughs> Sam Harris's brilliant mind for meditation. One day this podcast will flow into the ears of millions of listeners. But to be honest with you, it's like one drop, one listener at a time, one child at a time, one family, one parent, whatever it is. So, so, one so day, important, whatever I mean, it is you're doing. This, Just this, showing up. Yeah, this quarantine, I mean has never, I've never felt more present, you know, one day at a time. Mm. Like we just don't know. Yeah. And, and I mean, for you, like it's, it's been wild to see the transition as well, because I think frankly, I'm just, I think part of it is just that LA traffic. Like <laughs> you spend like three hours of your day driving around Los Angeles from school to school, parent to parent, like trying to, what am I trying doing? to take care like, what meta like the, the meta work i think that's another thing i wanted to talk about like the meta work you also have to spend you know 20 percent of your time on the computer mm -hmm. doing reports on all these children and then touching base with the parents and filling them in and filling out different insurance applications and things things like that and so you know it's like we we all as contractors as independent contractors which i think is kind of the future of work where we as individuals have multiple projects and do our own thing there's all of this meta work that comes on top of it and it's just like i don't know i don't understand to talk about raising kids but also like raising kids and like doing your therapy sessions and you know and then having to spend the night doing your taxes or doing yeah. paying bills or dealing with it's just there's all the extra little things that just add up death by a thousand paper cuts and it's like you know just i love this idea of just showing up you know, the same way that you show up for your children, just showing up for yourself every single day. Like I am here. I am present. I've been loving the, the Moda Ani, which is like one of the most beautiful prayers in, in, in the Jewish tradition, which is just like every morning you wake up and you thank God for returning your soul to your body. And it's just such an incredible way to start the day. Cause I always, you know, I wake up any day. It's like, it could who knows? It's like a roll of the dice of how I feel when I wake up. But when I say that phrase, it's like, oh yeah, you know, like here I am. What a gift. Just I am. And yeah, that was a bit of a rant on my end. Not much of a question. No, I think but I just got fired up. No, it's so important. I mean, honestly, this whole thing sucks. People are dying and mm. people are trapped in their homes, but I am fortunate in that I, I'm just, I just am responsible for myself and I'm healthy 
And I've been able to take this time to sort of notice. And I see a lot of silver linings. I really do. I just think that prior to this, I had just come back to, to um, this pandemic. I had just come back from New Zealand and I was, mm-hmm. my business was exploding and I was about to make the most money that I ever made in a month. And I was packed. I, I mean, I could, couldn't even say yes to anyone else if I tried. I mean, I probably would have because I was just in that zone, but yeah. But what's, what's crazy to me is like, you'll pack a day with, you know, five hours of kids and then driving and then paperwork and all that. And the most that you've ever made in a month will still not even touch like a half of, and I'm not saying this in a way to like patronize. I'm saying this in a way that it's just absurd to me that it won't even touch like, you know, a banker or a lawyer, right. Or, or some administrative executive. And it's like, how, how do we attribute value? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's absurd. I I can't speak really about it for myself, but what I can speak about, I mean, if I won the lottery, the first thing I would do is give money to teachers. I mean, how ass backwards is our society? The people that teach Mm. our children that are there for our children every day. You know, some of the teachers that I work with, they make under $50,000 a year and live in New York And this is in Los Angeles or or New York. You know, I don't really know salaries as much in LA as I do in New York because in New York- Yeah, but $50,000 in New York City is, you know, you're barely subsisting. you 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 need to commute every day for that to work. 100%, like massive commute. Yeah, have it's roommates, wild. have live. Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, when I hear the salaries of some of these teachers, I'm just blown away. I mean, like, think got like New York City schools or schools in general, like our grandpa was a principal, you know, they have good um, pensions and stuff like that. all of that is great. But that being said, like the salaries that teachers make, the people that are with our kids every single day teaching them, loving them, being there for them. Then they spend their nights planning. Yeah. People talk about teacher schedules are so easy. No, teachers don't just go home. They plan for the next day. And then the teachers that I work with who are working with kids with special needs, they're answering emails all night. This is not just like a, I mean, it's, it, it really, it's so ass backwards. And then they get hit with the, if you can't do teach and the, and the absurdity of kind of disrespect for teachers that I think has become a little bit more common in, in our culture. Yeah. Like the teacher was the loud, the loudza, the ma- the lausher, the master in, you know, in ancient, uh, in ancient Eastern philosophy, the teacher, the Joseph Necht character in Herman Hess, this like, this guide this spirit guide through life. And like, how can we, I would love to be able to change incentives to make, you know, to make it exciting for people to want to go become teachers again, to take care of children. And I don't know, it's, uh, it's interesting, but you were, you were saying that you were coming back from this trip and you Uh, had a a pack schedule. Yeah. And and I was making the most money that I, I was, you know, ever going to make in a month. And I was, pretty unhappy, I have to say. I mean, (laughs) I was proud, 
pride was there. Wait, money doesn't buy happiness? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Not not the kind of money I was making. Like, I guess if I was making way more in that month, I would be like, I mean, look, money doesn't buy happiness. Definitely, if I was making a shit ton more money, I feel like at least it, it buys options. Um, it buys freedom in some regards, I think. Or I don't, I mean freedom by options, by choice. But that being said, I was so, I was thinking in my head, God damn, I just need a week. I just need a week to get my shit together. I'm running around town. I'm doing so much. The amount of shit that I have to complete is just piling up. It's not getting smaller. And I need a week. And now. And you you have to show up. And, and you have I to show to sh- up and like be like calm, cool, collected, like everyone's leaning on you, like making sure that you're doing well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and, so and I was that, thinking about it. There's that imposter syndrome. Oh, 100%. And I was thinking about it. Vacation, right? I, I think that this is probably doesn't maybe speak true to the masses, but most people that I know, that when they have a vacation time, they go away. And... I don't know many people that take vacation just to stay home for a week. In fact, I don't know anyone that does that. And yeah, they do something. Something. They're trying to do something different to fill the time. Well, you've got to optimize your vacation time because we don't have it. We don't have vacation time. It's so rare. You know, what does the average person get a month of vacation? Four weeks? No, much less. Less? Much less. And then like, most more like 10, 10 days paid, paid vacation, 10 days possibly paid. like, and that's there's like true. a whole class of people that, that can't take vacation. Well, that's, know, they'll, they'll lose their job. They have no benefits. They have no social safety net. It's just interesting to me. I mean, do we ever take time to slow down and just be home in our space for more than a week? I mean, a weekend to me feels like a time to optimize, right? I got to optimize my time. I got to go to the farmer's market. I got to be outside. I got to do, I got to see friends. I got to go on dates. I got to do this. Just dropping it in there. I'm single folks. Um. (laughs) (laughs) It's shocking to me to be honest. I I don't know. I don't know what's going on. You're just too picky. That's why. (laughs) No, I mean, my, my, Being single, though, I have to say, I think it has everything happens for a reason, right? Like, I think that my career would not have been in the forefront like it is. And I I want it all. I want the balance. But I'm grateful in some ways that I've had the 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 push to work on my career and to make my career what it is. I mean, people have reached out to me, like I said, from doing this old colleagues who are just like, whoa, you're really doing the damn thing. What changed? One of my best friends from grad school reached out to me and she's like, what changed? Like, can I ask you, like, why do you give a shit? And I'm just like, I don't know. I mean, this is my path. I did not choose Mm. this path. This is, this was chosen for me. And I really, I mean, I've, dug it and like this is this is sort of evolved into what it is and um the i haven't forced the passion it's just come so yeah it's incredible i see it i mean i see the the spark let's say (laughs) uh it's it's super nice it's super nice and i think you're in service like you're in that mayana path i think is what 
Bill Brown on uh, the prison yoga episode described it as it's the path of service in Buddhism. And when we transition, he, he said, like, I, I found the secret in life. And it was that when I started living my life in service to others, that everything changed. And I just found so much more joy. And I really feel like you understand now more than ever, and it's taking you time to get here, just how of, of how much service you are to these families and these children. And now you have the ability to kind of expand it virtually and you're leaning into that. And so it's really beautiful to see. So we've come kind of towards the hour 15 mark. I'm recently trying to keep these below an hour 30, like closer to an hour because it's consistent and people, you know, there's only so much time you can be doing dishes and listening to podcasts. <laughs> Nobody's driving anyway. So Nobody wants to listen so yeah, to us there... talk for three hours. <laughs> I mean, we can talk for a lot longer, I'm sure. There's, there are many other topics on the board that we didn't get to hit. But, um, you know, we could talk about perfectionism and oh, yeah. imposter syndrome and, and chasing outcomes and working so hard but never feeling like it's enough. Oh, yeah. But we get to those subjects story. all the oh, that's time. That's the true show, story so of my really life. <laughs> that's the story of all of – that's the true story of all these lives. You know, it's, uh, it's about – it's worth, worthiness, finding worthiness – worth self-worth outside of outside of work mm-hmm. or within work but in service it's not just like it's not who you are or what you do that defines you it's i don't know maybe it is who you are i don't know <laughs> anyways but yeah but if you want to leave if you want to leave the 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 listeners the friends the over the microphone Hi, friends. friends with anything you know, now's your, now's your chance. Yeah. I mean, anything more than you've already shared, which is, yeah, I think, I guess the big thing is I wanted to leave with sort of notes for parents who are at home, just helpful tips. I think maybe in having this talk, I realize it's just helpful for everyone, but whether your parents or not, but I think the big thing to what, like I said, to wonder with kids, to get curious with kids, to to get on their level and to show empathy, and to, to say I'm here, I I'm in it with you, and to try to use more positive language instead of telling kids don't and nots and shouldn'ts and wouldn'ts acknowledge the great things, acknowledge what you like. This is a tool that therapists and teachers use all the time, but I love the way that you made your bed in the morning. I love the way that you helped your sister um, really promote good behavior instead of reinforcing bad behavior. And also to realize that kids regulate off of our energy just like anyone regulates off of anyone's energy in a lot of ways. And they look at us as an anchor and they look at us as a model for how they should be feeling. So to notice that if you're really feeling anxious and disorganized or fearful and you're putting that out there, your kids are like sponges and they might feel that too. So to try to sort of regulate with them, like, regulate yourself, take care of yourself 
as, as much as you can, which I know is so hard to find time, but to try to do it because giving yourself that time will really help your children stay in a good space. And also to try to realize that everything that we're talking about out loud, the kids are taking in, they're hearing it, whether they're a child with special needs or not. And so just be mindful that they're always around. They're always listening. Be mindful of your language and try to, I know, not, not the cursing. You can curse all you fucking want. No, but, but um, just be mindful about all the talk. You know, I talked to three-year-olds who tell me, I, I spoke to a two and a half-year-old who told me how much she hates Donald Trump. So, you know, they are taking it in. And I mean, I think you should keep talking to them about how much you hate Donald Trump. But beyond no, that, <laughs> I know it will get political. No, you can we cut that out. <laughs> I'm not going to cut it out. You just keep going. Anyway, just just remember that they're there. That's all. And have fun. Have fun with them. Have fun, play, get messy, get dirty, go outside, jump in puddles. Don't, you know, if it's raining out, go outside, get wet. It's okay. Jump in puddles, play with mud, get messy, get dirty, have fun with your kids. Try. I know it's hard. That's all. Amen, sister. Amen. I've always wanted to say that at the end of a podcast and like, it's true because you're my sister. So amen, sister. <laughs> um, good stuff. Amen, we'll post brother. links to, to Nikki's accounts, to Spark Kids Collective. There's a ton of stuff on there for all of you parents out there looking for activities to do with your children, for all of you future parents, for all of you children. And if you have children, kids, if you have kids and, and have questions, reach out. Like, I'm here. Reach out. We'll leave the email in the show notes. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you soon. Peace. All right. Hello, Lookup listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Lookup every Wednesday morning, Eastern time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media, My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Look Up Weekly newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, For those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions 
which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in. And I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have. 